Baptist. If I hear that song one more time, on that mountain, first time I ever heard that song. How many of you first time you ever heard that song? I probably, I don't remember the name of it. Choir sang it a moment ago. I thought, if they sing that song again, some of you folks got a couple of years, you'll understand what I'm saying. I think if they sing it again, my horse is going to get out of the corral. How many of you understand what I mean by that? I mean, man, that's enough to get anybody excited, isn't it? Such a joy to be here last night and to see what God's doing and be part of what the Lord is doing today. Thank you for the privilege, preacher, of being here. I have really, really enjoyed the privilege of just being part of your ministry and what you're doing. Now, how many of you were at the banquet last night? Would you stand up for just a moment? If you were at the banquet, would you stand up? All right, and you a lot of you were. Remain standing, and ushers very, very quickly if you come down the aisles. And everybody seated is going to get one of these beautiful brochures like this, one per family. And uh, we want you to have it. The church wants you to have it. For the last six weeks, the church has been going through a lot of what's in here. Now, I'm going to ask you to do something extremely difficult. Do not open the brochure when you get it. You'll be tempted to read it while I'm preaching. But don't do that. This is not for you to read while I'm preaching. (laughs) But I want you to just hold it, and you'll be able to understand why a little bit later on. Because this is what God has given your pastor and your leadership team here in the church as a vision for the future. This is a way for you to walk out of here today and say, I know what's going on and I know what to pray for. And I want to be part of it. That's what this is really all about. So I want to give, just remain standing for a moment, give you a minute so everybody gets one. All right, help us if you did not get a brochure. Hold your hand up a minute so the ushers can see you and they'll get one around. If you did not get one, hold your hand up. That's everybody. Thank you. Be seated if you would, please. Wonderful. Now, if you have a Bible, hold your Bible up good and high. How many folks have a Bible? Hold it up good and high for a minute. How many of you love the Word of God? Isn't it great? How many of you have a digital Bible? Hold your Bible. If you've got a digital Bible with you, I ask that question. There's a lot of them good. Open your Bible to the Gospel of Mark. I want you to look with me very carefully, the Gospel of Mark. And I want us to look at a tremendous event that happened in the life of Jesus that is kind of, in a way, one of the focusing events, I think, that helps us to understand the purpose of the Lord Jesus Christ coming. Most of you are familiar with the fact that Jesus took his disciples... And very simply, as we come to Mark chapter 5, Jesus had taken his disciples, put them in a a small, what we call a ship or boat of that day, went across the Sea of Galilee and came into the area of the Gadareans. Now, when he landed on the seashore and got out, he met a man. The man that he met is what I'm going to call a man that is the outskirts of society. If we were to take him to compare today, it'd be somebody maybe be homeless, somebody whose family had kicked him out and deserted him, his friends didn't want anything to do with him, In fact, the citizenship of this area had put him outside. He had to live in the caves. He had nothing. Not only that, his life had been destroyed by sin. If we were to compare that today, we'd say this man, maybe liquor has dominated him, or dope has dominated him, immorality. We find the Bible identifies that as the work of the devil as the man was demon-possessed. He was so far deep in sin, such an influence of the devil upon him. One of the demons was called Legion. He said, for we are many. This man's life was literally destroyed. Can I take a second to stop here and say, there's never been a person that Jesus Christ has met that he cannot help. Never. So all of a sudden when Jesus met this man, we find that something happened that was unbelievable. The first person to speak with Jesus, Jesus was going to save this man. Jesus was going to return him to his right mind, turn his life upside down, But all of a sudden, the first person that spoke to Jesus was not the man. It was a demon. 
Look at it in Mark chapter 5 for just a minute. And notice what happened if you would in verse 10. Verse 9 gives us the name of the demon. He said we're legion. But look at verse 10 for just a minute. And all of a sudden we find this demon of hell literally praying to Jesus. Notice his prayer. Verse 10, he besought him much that he would not send him away out of the country. This is the demon. The second him is Jesus. He said, Jesus, don't send us away out of the country. You know what he was praying? He was saying, Jesus, don't put me in hell right now. Ladies and gentlemen, do you recognize the fact the devil already knows he's defeated? You recognize the fact the devil already knows he's going to spend an eternity in hell? You recognize the demons of hell that destroyed lives across America in your life, my life, and our families, and our community? You know the devil already knows he's defeated? We know that. And these demons came to Jesus and said, Jesus, don't put us in hell right now. It was not the consummation of the ages. So very simply, Jesus answered that prayer and said, in essence, okay. And Jesus, you remember, cast the demons out of this man. I need to stop here again and say what I said a moment ago. I don't care where you find yourself or how difficult the situation, there is no situation too hard for the power of God. And all of a sudden, these demons were cast out of this man, and they entered into the swine. You remember the story? The pigs ran down the edge of the seashore, and they drowned in the water. And can I say in a humorous way, that kind of hurt the pig industry a little bit, you know. And all of a sudden, the men who owned them came out of the city, and they had an issue with this. I don't know they necessarily cared that Jesus had healed this man, that his sins had been forgiven, that he had been restored. The thing they were concerned about, they'd lost some money. Their capital was gone. Their industry was hurt. So now we find prayer number two. Prayer number two, if you look forward in that account a little bit, jump down to verse 17. And the Bible says, and they, that's these men that had owned the swine, the pigs, and they began to pray him, his prayer number two, and they very simply said, Jesus, would you get out of town? Would you just leave us alone? Would you just depart from us? And you know, if we're not careful, that's exactly the response we give to Jesus so many times. We said, I know he's God, I know he's Jesus, and everybody talks about it, and that's okay, but I don't want him bothering my life. That's kind of what these men were like. So they came and they said, would you just get out of town? And the interesting thing is, Jesus answered that prayer, didn't he? And Jesus said, all right. You would think he'd have just bucked up a little bit and said, I'll stay if I want to. He didn't. He said, okay, and he started to leave, and I can see him walking down next to the sea and putting his foot on the boat. He's getting ready to leave the area. And all of a sudden, we find prayer number three. Prayer number three of this account, all of a sudden, the man that had just been saved, the man that was in his right mind, the man that had had his life turned upside down, he came, and maybe he began to step into the boat also, and he just made a very simple, look at the next verse for a minute in verse 18. And the Bible said the one that had been possessed with the devil prayed him. So here's prayer number three. His prayer was very simple. <clears throat> Lord, I'd like to be with you. Could I just be with you? And the most amazing thing happened. Jesus looked at him and said, no. Now, brother, I would have thought <laughs> if there ever was anybody that Jesus would have said, jump into the boat, been this guy. I mean, the guy had just been saved. The best I know, <laughs> there was no church in the area. He didn't even have a complete Bible. There were no other Christians there. So here was a man that needed to be discipled. I believe in discipleship. You believe in it. This church practices. 
And all of a sudden, if there's one man that ought to have been with Jesus and got disciples, it certainly would have been this man. And you would have think Jesus would have turned to him and say, good choice, jump in the boat. But all of a sudden, Jesus said, no. I wrote down in my Bible when I was studying it years ago, and I've done this a lot in the Bible. It's a great thing to do, I think, once in a while. I just write down the word why. If you don't understand why, I said, just write down the word why. Study and let God deal with your heart and come back to it. And I said, why in the world would Jesus turn to this man? He had just been saved. He was clothed in his right mind. Jesus not only saved him, took care of his eternity, but gave him a brand new beginning in life. Why did Jesus not turn to him and say, jump in the boat, go with us and learn of us? He didn't do that. Rather, he gave him a different commandment. Look at it in verse 19. He turned to him in verse 19 and he said, listen, go home to your friends and tell them what great things God has done for thee and has had compassion on thee. As I begin to meditate on that answer to that question, why? Why did Jesus tell him, you cannot be with me You're going to be with me for an eternity. You're going to be with me later. Everything's going to be all right. But right now, I have a supreme task for you, something that has high priority. What is it? Go home to your friends and tell them what great things God has done for thee. Now, why did Jesus tell him that? Because very simply, there really is a place called hell. There really is a hell. How many of you in this building believe there's a heaven? How many of you believe that heaven is a place forever and forever and forever and forever? Hold your hand up good and high. Don't let it down yet. Hold up good and high all over the building. You may let it down. I've asked that question to university campuses. Do you know unbelievers and people that deny the Bible, they still will lift their hand they believe there's a heaven? In everybody's soul, there's something that wants to think there really is heaven. They may say they do not believe in hell, but I want to stand here and tell you the same adjectives and the same adverbs that talk about the duration of heaven, how long that you, because you're saved, are going to spend with your God, that same forever is how long your friends and your loved ones are going to be in hell if they die without Jesus Christ. I settled this a long time ago in my life, and I'd like for you to think about it with me for just a minute. If there is no hell, why are you at church? I mean, the entire banquet last night And I could pick up the compassion and the heart of being able to say, we need land so that we can park, so we can expand the amount of people that can hear the gospel. And I was so taken by that second thing. We need a children's building. I heard your pastor stand up and say something I wrote down last night. And I'm afraid that I've been wrong and he was right. I've made this statement. Some of you made this statement. Our children, our youth are the church of tomorrow. He said last night, that's not true. Our children are the church of today. And ladies and gentlemen, he's right. And that building is going to allow a thousand young people from birth to five years old, a thousand to be able to have a place every week so somebody can tell them this book is the Word of God and you can believe the Bible and build your life on it and it'll never change. It's not sinking sand. It is absolutely a sure foundation. And if we don't build that building for them, who in the world is going to do it? If grandparents and parents don't get involved in making it happen. But I'm going to quickly tell you, why in the world do you want to do it if there is no hell? What difference does it make? If there's no hell, it would kind of be like, eat, drink, and be merry. Tomorrow we die, what's it all about anyway? But I want to tell you, just as real as there's a heaven, there's an eternal hell. I'm not glad to stand here and say that. 
I happen to believe, and I'm praying for revival in America. I preach more across America than I ever have before. And every time I preach, if God will let me do it, I preach on hell. Why? I believe if we're going to have revival in America, we've got to get back to the point that we understand what eternity is really about. I got on a plane recently. I was flying from one side of the West Coast over to Atlanta. And I picked up a magazine out of the pocket, looked at it, U.S. News and World Report. On the front page, big color front page, was a beach scene. It had as much nudity as they could put on it. It had what you could see, the martinis, the liquor flowing, and evidence of dope, these kind of things, and sin, immorality. They wanted to picture that as close as they could. And then on the bottom of it, it said, if this is hell, it ain't too bad. And then they advertised an article on the inside written by some religious leader that taught in some so-called religious college up in Chicago, and they said, read his article. I turned to the inside out of interest, and I began to read it. And he said, if there is a hell, it just exists in people's minds. It's nowhere else. There's no such place as a real hell. It's kind of like a nebulous crowd that kind of flows over like this. It's not really anything. He said it'd be more than a beat scene. That's where they got the picture from. It's no more than a beat scene where people can just express themselves for all eternity and have a great time together. Then he made this statement. If our preachers in our churches in America would just read what Jesus said in the Bible and preach only what Jesus said in the Bible, they quit preaching on hell. And I laughed aloud. <laughs> and the guy next to me, a businessman next to me, looked at me and said, what are you laughing at? I said, I didn't mean to laugh at loud. I'm a, but I just laughing at this guy who wrote this article. He said, what did he write? And I told him that if the, it said if the preachers would preach what Jesus said, they quit preaching on hell. He said, well, I'm not a religious man. I don't know anything about it. I said, quite simply, as this man don't know anything about eating than he does about the Bible, it's a wonder he hadn't starved himself to death by now. He looked at me and said, well, again, I don't know anything about the Bible. I said, would you do me a favor? And I recommend you do this. Would you take my Bible and everything Jesus said in Matthew is in red and start at Matthew chapter 1 and keep just turning. Don't read. If you don't read the black, just read the red, what Jesus said. Every time Jesus said anything in the Gospel of Matthew, underline it if he said anything about sin, death, punishment, and hell. Well, he went on about 12, 15 minutes. Then all of a sudden, he began to laugh. He looked at me and said, what's that guy writing about? I said, what do you mean? He said, obviously, that man's never read the Bible. He and I were in agreement right there. He probably had more knowledge than that religious leader did at that university. I don't know. But he said, obviously, he's never read the Bible. I said, what do you mean? He said, Jesus said there's fire in hell. He said, I can show it to you. He said, Jesus was an extremist. Jesus said, if your hand keeps from being saved, it'd be a whole lot better to cut your hand off and die and go to heaven when you die than it was to keep two hands and die and go to hell. He said, Jesus took it a point further. He said, if it's your eye that makes you not receive Christ, you'd be better off to reach in and pluck your eye off and throw it far from you and go through life with only one seeing eye and go to heaven than have two good seeing eyes and die and go to hell. He said, the thing that struck me, Jesus said, I shouldn't fear somebody can just kill my body. But I ought to fear somebody can destroy my body and my soul forever in a place called hell. I had the privilege of leading that man to Christ before we got off that flight landed. And I thank God for that. But I want to tell you, as you begin to meditate upon that and you begin to think upon that, I had a question asked me. I believe it was in Seattle right after 9-11, about 12 years ago now. I was preaching in a campaign out there, and 
I was interviewed on television. A young lady on television in the morning asked me about the crusade. Right out of the blue, she looked at me and said, what's so bad about hell? <laughs> That's a pretty good question. What's so bad about hell? Now let me turn it on you. Can I do that for just a minute? What difference does it make if your relatives go to hell? What's so bad about hell? Why did Jesus tell this man, go home to your friends? The first thing you need to do, sir, you've just been saved. I, I, I'm glad you want to be with me. I'm glad you want to grow in grace. I want, want, but the main thing for you to invest your life in right now is to go home to your friends. What difference does it make? What's so bad about hell? There's no water in hell. Think about that. There are no oceans, no waves, no fresh water, no salt water. There are no streams, there are no rivers. There's no rain, no clouds. There's not even one drop of water in hell. Not one. Not one drop of water. The appetite of people in hell will be extreme. I mean by that people that thirst for liquor now. My precious dad, and very simply, eight children at home. My mom, I don't see how she kept it together. My dad was a drunkard. My dad, I've seen him, 230 pounds, strong as an ox, get on his knee and said, I would give my right arm if I could lose the thirst for liquor. Thank God, a year and a half after I got saved, on my front porch of Fillmore Street in Lynchburg, Virginia, I had the privilege to get on my knees and lead my dad to Christ, and God took that hunger away from him. But I want to tell you that people in hell will forever and forever, whether it's liquor, whether it's drugs, whether it's sex, they'll have a hunger for sin, but no satisfaction. No satisfaction, not even a drop of water. There's no green grass in hell. There's no leaves in hell. There's no flowers in hell. There are no mountains in hell. My wife and I like to visit the mountains some and look at them. They're beautiful. Mountains are great. There's no leaves that change color in hell. Would somebody in this auditorium stand up and tell the rest of us, would somebody tell us what's one good thing about hell? There is nothing good about hell. There are no children in hell. There's no positive emotions in hell. person says, I'm going to die and go to hell and be with my friends. Your friends may be there, but they won't be friendly when you see them. There's only negative emotions. There's bitterness, anger, cursing. There's no love in hell. There's no joy. There's no positive emotion. There's no hope. There's nothing in hell forever. Maybe one of the bad things about hell is the fact that hell is a place of outer darkness. That very simply means that if I could stand here and shut my eyes and somehow be in a vacuum, darkness, and then open my eyes as wide as I could, I would not know whether I'm thrust forward or backwards or upward or down or twirling over. I would not know whether I'm going up or down. The one word we've got in the English language that describes that position in hell, people in hell today are lost forever and forever and forever. Philosophers and musicians have tried to write about how long forever is. And some have come pretty close with some illustrations, but none have really grasped it. Someone says, should you take a string and anchor it to the earth and stretch it 93 million miles to the sun, anchor it to the sun, recruit an ant, let that ant take one grain of sand and walk 93 million miles to the sun and deposit it, walk back and get grain of sand number two, make round trip grain of sand number three and four and five and six. Until that ant, 93 million miles up, 93 million miles back at an ant's pace, had taken every grain of sand off of every desert, 
every grain of sand off of every seashore, out from under the bottom of every ocean, every grain of sand out of every soil composite had put it all up on the sun in one big pile, looked at it, turned around and reversed himself and take it all back and put it back where he got it. That eternity will have just begun. No wonder Jesus looked at him and said, go home to your friends and tell them what great things God has done for you. Top priority. Second church I founded and pastor was in Grand Rapids, Michigan. I've been there about two years and God had blessed and I got an invitation to go down to Montague, Michigan, right on the shore of Lake Michigan. Small community and hold a revival meeting in Grace Baptist Church. They wanted me to come Sunday morning through Wednesday night, and I stayed at our church on Sunday morning, but I started the meeting on a Sunday night. I went through Wednesday night. We finished, and God gave us a, just a great meeting. I came back on Thursday morning. was sitting at my desk. I told my secretary, I said, I, I got a lot to do to catch up. Please don't bother me unless it's an emergency. About an hour later, she buzzed me and said, Preacher, there's a lady on the phone. I really think you need to talk to her. I picked the phone up. It was a lady down in Montague from Grace Baptist. She said, Preacher, I've been at the meeting. Uh, forgive me for bothering you. I, I know you're busy, but there's a man named Ray Russell downtown in Grand Rapids Burn Unit, one of the best in America. Still is. And that man's almost dead. You need to go visit him. He's unsaved. I said, I'll go as soon as I can. She said, you don't understand. It's a miracle he's alive now. He could die at any moment. If he dies, he's without Christ. I said, I'll go right now. I shut everything up, got in my car, and headed downtown. I did not know the story I'm going to tell you now. That man, while I was there preaching, it started in campaign. He called it anti-revival campaign. And I printed up, you know, the church printed up revival flyers. You've seen them to invite people to come to hear the meeting. Well, he printed up some anti-revival flyers, and he invited any man in that town who had come to the bar. While I was preaching, if they'd come to the bar, he'd buy the liquor. And they say he had a lot of men there. I came back Wednesday night. He went back to the bar. They had a celebration on the amount of men they kept out of the revival meeting. He got liquored up, went home that night, stumbled out of his car. He took a lady home with him. She stayed outside, according to the newspaper. He went inside in a drunken stupor. He fell asleep on the couch. She waited until he was asleep, took a five-gallon can of gasoline, walked in and poured circles of gasoline around the couch, poured a trail of gasoline on the outside. When she got outside, she struck a match. The flames began to leak in and burn around him. They say it was his screaming that made people call the emergency people. They came to get him. The police arrested her, and the paper reported when she drove off, she looked back at the trailer and said, go to hell, Ray Russell, go to hell. I did not know that while I was going down to visit that man in the hospital. I walked in the burn unit, and the nurse, you know, took the precautions to put things on me so I wouldn't have bacteria and take it in the room. They told me his condition. One eye had been burnt out. One lung, he collapsed. They asked me not to make him talk, and I walked in and looked at him. He didn't know I was there, and I smelled, and you have to kind of get over that for a minute. I walked over and leaned over, and I looked down and saw what I thought was like a wax face. Part of the eyelids, part of the nose, it had been burnt almost beyond recognition. And I looked down at him in that one seeing eye, and I said, Ray, my name is David Wood. I'm a preacher. I've come to tell you how to be saved because you're going to die very soon. He began to shudder. I didn't know why I do now. He knew who I was. And I began to tell him the wonderful story of Jesus, how that Jesus came to this earth just for him, died on an old rugged cross and paid the price for his sin on Mount Calvary. 
went to a grave, but thank God came up out of that grave and was resurrected so he could have eternal life. When I finished, I didn't even ask him, would he like to be saved? I said, Ray, I'm going to pray, and I want you to pray and trust Christ. And I said, dear God, he waited a half a beat. Then he said, dear God, I know I'm a sinner. And he stopped, and I thought, this man's not going to be saved. And all of a sudden, a tear began to come out of that one good eye. And he began to pray aloud, God, I'm such a sinner. I wish you could hear his prayer. And he wept and asked God to forgive your sin and was gloriously saved. I leave people to the Lord so often I, by habit, didn't really think. Forgetting the pain was in, I put my hand in front of him and said, if you're a minute, Ray, put your hand on mine. And that one big old hand came over on top of mine. The other one came over on top of that one. He said, I meant it with all of my heart. I gave him as much assurance as I could. I tried to give him the peace that I could before I left. I'm glad to tell you that man lived 39 more days. Every day he lived, I was invited back to the hospital. He began to invite man after man and family after family to come. Some 70-some people had been saved in that 39 in that hospital room because one man said yes to Jesus Christ. And in essence, he did what Jesus told this man. Can I be with you? Can I just hang out with spiritual people? Can I just stay around religion? Can I just be, you know, on the peripheral edge of it? Can I clap my hands about it and say, I was there. Lord, can I do that? Jesus said, no. Why? I want you to go home to your friends. And I want you to tell them what great things God has done for thee and has had compassion on thee. Let's pray. Every head is bowed and every eye is closed and God's speaking to hearts. All over the building for just a minute, heads are bowed and eyes are closed. No one moving around, please. No one leaving. Our invitation will be quite different. In a minute, not right now, but in a minute, I'm going to ask our pianist to begin to play very, very softly. But our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. Listen very carefully. How many of you in this building right now will say, Preacher, I'm absolutely 100% sure if I die today, if God should take my life today, I thank God, I know for sure that when I die, that heaven's my home. I don't mean you're a church member, please. I don't mean you're a Baptist, a Methodist, Catholic, charismatic. I'm not dealing with religion. What I mean is this. If God should take your life today, where would you be tonight? Would it be heaven or hell? How many of you right now would say, Preacher, if God should take my life, I thank God, I know for sure that when I die, I'm going to heaven. Hold your hand up good and high as a testimony of that, please. Heads about an eyes are closed. Heads about an eyes are closed. Thank you. You may let your hand back down. And I want to thank you who did not raise your hand. You say, what do you mean? I want to thank you for being honest. Do you recognize the first step in getting everything right with God is to be honest? How many of you in this building right now, while the heads are bowed, will say, Preacher, I could not raise my hand a moment ago. I'm not 100% sure. I do not know for sure. I'm not sure that when I die, I'm going to heaven. But if you're going to be praying for those who'd really like to go to heaven, that would like to know for sure about it one day before it's too late, please pray for me. Lift your hand up good and high. Would you right where you are? Don't be embarrassed. Hold it up. Thank you, sir. And thank you, ma'am. And thank you, ma'am. And thank you, ma'am. And thank you, sir. And I'm waiting a minute. How about you? All over the building. In the back. Thank you, sir. And thank you. Ushers, help me from the back so I won't miss anybody. I don't want to miss anybody. Thank you, ma'am. And thank you. Heads about and eyes are closed all over the building. All over the building. If I don't see your hand, God will see it. Who else? I have not raised my hand yet, preacher, but God's touched my heart. Pray for me. I'm not 100% sure I'm going to heaven. Thank you, ma'am. God bless you. Thank you. Anybody else is away? Just a moment. 
Now our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. People's hands have been lifted at different times all over the building. So I might see every hand all together at one time before I pray. How many of you raised your hand and said, Preacher, I'm not 100% sure that I'm going to heaven when I die. Have you raised your hand and said, pray for me, and you really meant business about it? Hold your hand up one more time. Would you do that so I can see all hands at one time? All hands at one time. Thank you, and thank you, and thank you, and thank you. You may let your hand back down. Now, Father, I pray for this couple. I pray for this man. I pray for that lady, for these mothers, for dads, for others, for young people. God, please, don't let the devil fool anybody. Don't let the devil fool a person but help people to do the right thing with Jesus. Now our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed and God speaking to our hearts. Every head is bowed. Would every one of you that raised your hand a moment ago and said, Preacher, I'm not 100% sure that I'm going to heaven when I die. Would every one of you that raised your hand and said, Pray for me. While every other head is bowed, would you look at me for just a moment? Thank you. Just look right at me. Thank you. And thank you. And thank you. Over here, thank you, and thank you. In the back, God bless you, and God bless you. Keep looking at me for a minute. I'm not coming where you are. I'll not embarrass you. I just want to talk to your heart. I received Christ as my Savior when I was 19 years old. You know why? Because somebody cared enough to help me. And I mean what I'm going to tell you now. Sound funny to me to say this, but I mean it. If that person had not cared enough to help me, I would be dead and in hell today. I was running from God, living on a dead-end street. But somebody cared enough to say, hey, David, let me help you. Now look right at me. I'm not asking you this morning to join anything. I'm not asking you to become part of anything. I'm going to ask you a very simple request. Would you be willing to let us take just a moment to help you like somebody helped me? The question very simply is this. Would it be okay? Could we take just a moment and show you how you could walk out of this building and know for sure today that when you die that you're going to spend an eternity in heaven and not hell? Would that be all right? If so, just nod yes when I look at your section of the auditorium. Thank you. How about it? Could we show you how to go to heaven? Thank you. How about it, sir? God bless you. And over here, God bless you. And in this section, how about it, sir? Thank you. And back through here, how about it, ma'am? God bless you. And over here, how about it, sir? God bless you. And here, thank you. Now, while every other head is bowed, but you raise your hand, I want you to understand, again, I'm not asking you to join anything. What I'm going to ask you to do is give us just a moment to show you how you can walk out of this building and know for sure you're going to heaven. So while you're looking at me right now, I want every one of you that are looking at me, I want you just to do this, to stand up quickly and come stand with us down near the front and let us show you how to go to heaven. Just get up and come right now as I'm talking. People will let you out. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. If you've got a mother, a daddy, a friend with you that needs Christ, you bring them right now. You bring them with you. You stand with them. Get up and come right now. God loves you. God loves you. Give him a chance. That's all we're talking about. Give God a chance. You say, what's going to happen? It's not embarrassing. Somebody's going to take a minute and take a Bible, spend a minute with you privately, and show you how to leave here and know for sure you're going to heaven. Won't you get up and come right now and join these that have come? Get up and come while I'm talking. Just get up and come while I'm talking. God loves you. God loves you. He knows who you are. He died for you. Get up and come. Get up and come. Thank you. Now, while heads about an eyes are closed, I want to talk to Christians. I want every Christian to listen to me very intently for just a moment. How many of you in this building today would say, Preacher, I've got a mate, a husband or wife that's not saved. I do not want my husband or wife to go to hell. I care enough about my husband or wife to raise my hand and say, I am concerned 
I want God to know I don't want my husband or wife to go to hell. Raise your hand and represent that mate that needs to be saved, would you? All over the building. Please don't be embarrassed. Please don't. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. You can let your hand down. How many of you say, Preacher, I've got children that are unsaved. I don't want to go to hell. Hold your hand up and represent your children. I got children that are unsaved. I don't want them to go to hell. I don't want my children to go to hell. Oh, God bless you. You can let it down. How many of you say, I got a, I've got a dad or mom. I don't want my dad and mom to go to hell. Hold your hand up for just a minute, would you? I got dads and moms. I love them to death. But please, I want my dad and mom to go to heaven, not hell. Please, God. You can let your hand down. How many of you got grandparents that are unsaved? You've got grandparents that are unsaved that need Christ, that need Christ. Wow. Thank you for that. How many of you got grandchildren that are unsaved, that are burdened about? Away from God? Or they need a fresh touch from God? Or they're unsaved? How many of you have grandchildren you're burdened about? Many, many of us. Now listen carefully. Very important question. How many of you say, Preacher, I've got a friend or a neighbor in this state, or maybe I work with them, they're in my neighborhood. I got a friend or neighbor that's unsaved. And I don't want my friend to go to hell. I care enough about my friend to lift my hand. Every hand is representing one person that somebody cares about. You don't want that person to go to hell. Hold your hand up good and high. Lift your hand up good and high. All of the building. All of the building. Glory to God. Many, many of us. You can let your hand down. Father, I pray that in the next couple of minutes that what happens in this auditorium will result in hundreds of people not going to hell but accepting Christ and going to heaven. Now our heads are bowed and our eyes are closed. In a moment, one verse will be sung. Just one chorus will be sung. Doing that chorus, if you raise your hand and said, I've got somebody on my heart that's unsaved, I'm going to ask you to stand right where you are. And by standing, you're saying one thing. I'm standing for my dad, for my mom, for a cousin, or a brother or a sister, or a friend. I got somebody on my heart. I care enough about that person to stand up in their place and say, God, please save that person. Begin to sing the chorus right now. You stand up if God's touched your heart right where you are, right where you are. By standing, you're saying one thing. God, I don't want my friend. I don't want my neighbor to go to hell. As you stand, begin to pray for them by name. Begin to pray for them by name. Every step that I take name of that person in prayer and say, God, please save John, Mary, 
Be definite in your prayer. Again, it's not a formal prayer. God's looking at hearts. Why don't you say this, God? I don't want them to go to hell. You know what you're doing by praying that? You're identifying with God. God said, I'm not willing that any should perish. God don't want them to go to hell either. Now, think about this before you pray it. This is quite a prayer. God, listen to it carefully. God, whatever you want me to do to help get the gospel to them, if you'll help me to see what you want me to do, I'll do it. If you mean it with your heart, pray that prayer. God, whatever you want me to do, I'm willing to do it. Just show me what you want me to do. Just show me what you want me to do. Now, if there's sin in your life, confess it. If there's sin, confess it. One thing we need to do as believers is keep a clean slate. If there's sin, confess it. Just tell God. Right now, God, cleanse me. Forgive me and cleanse me. Now, while you're praying, let me ask you, is there somebody here who would say, Preacher, I've been thinking about joining this church. I've been thinking about joining this church, and God's been talking to my heart about it. And I need prayer about my church membership. Would you lift your hand while heads are bowed? Would you lift your hand for just a moment? I see several hands. Wonderful. Now, I want you to listen carefully. If you raise your hand and you have questions about your church membership that you'd like answered, there are people across the front that will answer those questions. I, I, I believe whatever we want to do for God, we need to do it now. If God's touched your heart to join this church while I'm talking right now, leave your seat and come and just meet one of these people. If God's touched your heart, come together individually or as a husband and wife or as a family. Somebody will meet you at the front and say, God's laid it upon my heart to join this church. And they'll answer your questions about church membership. Just do that while I'm talking. Just do that while I'm talking. And the rest of us are praying. God, don't let my sister go to hell. I need a personal worker right over here quickly a personal worker somebody that'll greet these people right here that have come to join right here that'll greet these people that have come to join you know just keep praying for a minute God help me to be the witness to do what's necessary now listen carefully while heads about one more question this is pretty pointed how many of you would say next Sunday if God will help me to do it. When I come to church, I'll bring somebody out of this county, somebody out of this area. If God will help me to do it, I'll bring somebody in my car that has not been here that needs to hear the gospel. Now listen before you raise your hand because this is just saying if God will help me to do it, if God will help me to do it, I'll bring somebody next Sunday that needs to hear the gospel. Hold your hand up for just a moment. Hold your hand up for just a moment. Glory to God. Preacher, that could be a hundred people here next Sunday from this crowd that needs the gospel. Now, I want you to pray over this and pray that God will bless. Now, every one of you standing, look at me for just a moment. Just look right at me. Look right at me. I want to thank you for your commitment. America needs revival. It's not going to be done from the pulpit. The pulpit is the reason we don't have revival, I understand. But it's going to be done by individuals that are doing what you're willing to do which is to go tell. We've got to be willing to do it in your high school, your college, wherever you are. One of the things when I started going across America asking people to get really involved in reaching their friends, we need to read our Bible. 
my hands lifted, one of the toughest things for me to do every day is to read my Bible with purpose. How many of you agree with me? Hold your hand up to pray. So we did some research and found what we think is the greatest devotional book a person can use. Many of you have been going through devotions in the Faith in Action program. A bunch have come to me and said, what can we do? This book right here has one page every day. It takes you 15 or 20 minutes. Memory verse for the week, leadership principle, prayer principle, thought for the, it is great. One of the best I've seen. It started out, it was $20. We bought every one they had so we could sell them for 10. 